Welcome to the Holistic High Performance Podcast with your host, Daniel Christofferson. On July 17, 2018, I received the following email from Tracy Reckert, one of the mothers in my daughter's class. The email said, as some of you may know, may have heard, I have been getting a jump on you so you can hear it from me. Neil was seriously injured in a climbing accident on Saturday, July 14th, near Index, Washington. He and I were climbing as a couple. The kids were not there. Neil took a significant fall to the ground. There are injuries that required surgery to both lower legs and some facial cuts requiring stitches. This will be a long road to recovery. We are grateful for our loving community of family and friends who are all pitching in to help. We are preparing to weather the storms of healing. Thank you for your thoughts and prayers. Today's guest is Neil McCarthy, an organizational development consultant and leadership coach for the last 18 years. Prior to this career, he was a professional mountain guide for 10 years with National Outdoor Leadership School and Alpine Ascents International. So needless to say, being active in the outdoors is a way of life for him. He and his wife, Tracy, met through the guiding world. So when they had a couple of kids, they raised them to ski, climb, hike, and camp. So it was a life-changing event when he fell and broke both of his legs. He wondered if he would ever be able to do things he loved again, and most of all, share these adventures with his wife and children. Welcome to the show, Neil. Thanks, Dan. So can you tell us a little bit about what happened the day of the accident? Tracy and I went to just have a nice summer afternoon of climbing. Dropped the kids off at a summer camp and we were just going to do a few pitches at Index. And uh, we were on a climb and I think it was called Old Ladies. So considerable, uh, not challenging climb. So Tracy was nursing an injured foot. So I led the climb up, built the anchor, came down and then Tracy climbed it, followed it, and then she wanted to see how her foot would do. Then she decided she wanted to lead it. So when you do that, you pull the rope, and then she led up the climb. So then somebody had to go up again to clean up the anchor and come down. And I was thinking that I would take Ruby climbing someday that next week. So I was like, oh, probably a good idea for me to go up and rappel off just so that I have a little more practice because we had not been climbing yet that summer. So this was our first one. I'd been busy, busy work. So anyway, I uh, went up to the top and was setting up the rappel and all was fine. And I went to toss the rope you know, you pull the rope through the anchor and I went to toss half the rope down. I didn't pull the whole rope off and it got hung up in a tree. So I pulled up a little bit more rope to try and unweight it and throw that down. And at that time I was pulling up rope. I didn't find what is typically the middle mark in the rope because all our ropes are what's called biweave ropes, except this one. And Uh I didn't remember that. When I had pulled up more rope, come to find out later, I had pulled up too much rope. And so my rope was uneven and I had one section not on the ground. And I knew there was no knot in the end of that rope as well. So I ended up starting my rappel and... Not asking Tracy for help. Did not ask Tracy for help. So the whole psychology of it all. So I knew I was taking a long time. And Tracy was down there reading the guidebook looking for the next climb. And I didn't want to kind of a two-prong thing. One, I didn't want to bother her. 
And two, I didn't want her to tell me what to do. So she's the better rock climber in the family. I'm the better mountaineer. Okay. More experienced, let's say. And so I was like, oh, I'll figure it out. And I knew I didn't have a knot in the end of the rope. And I didn't want to ask her if it was down and, hey, put a thing in. And anyway, I went through the three scenarios that I needed to do in order to ensure that the rappel would be safe. And I made a silly decision not to pursue any of those. I looked down. I saw a bunch of rope piled up on a ledge. It was not the side of the rope. I thought I looked twice. I thought I looked three times. I checked everything and I started to repel. And, uh, you know, about halfway down, I, I was falling and I knew it. Yeah. Yeah. So Tracy had sent out an email later kind of recounting the experiences. And a little excerpt from her e email was, Neil was repelling the route, and I thought to ask if he knew where the middle of the mark was, two black lines, but I figured he remembered. I thought to ask if he needed any help, but figured he would ask. In hindsight, these subtle cues, the ones that we ignore sometimes, and sometimes we don't, are possible choices. I chose wrong that day, and I'm glad Neil survived. Mm -hmm. Yeah, crazy. We both had a story running. Yeah. Didn't choose to act on it. So that's those gut feelings that we don't listen to and sometimes we talk ourselves out of with our mind. And so you started coming down and then tell us what happened. I was getting the rope out of the tree and, you know, have two hands on the rappel and um, flick the rope out of the tree and then maybe went, I don't know, just a few more feet and then knew I was airborne falling. And I, I think I probably yelled, shit, I don't remember hitting but I do remember tumbling. So yeah, I just remember a lot of brown and gray and green. So the woods and the logs and the rocks and, but we were on a fairly steep hillside. So um, a lot of things worked in my favor. I think Tracy says she saw it. She says I hit the, there was a ledge uh, about 15, 20 feet uh, above the ground. And so I probably fell 15, 20 to that and then hit that ledge. And then the ledge, ricocheted me. I probably hit that with my legs. That's probably when they mm -hmm. broke. And then uh, that pitched me off an angle and I somehow grazed a pillar of rock that was up on my right shoulder, but didn't hit it, just scratched it up really well and then tumbled down the ground. And there were just, you know, it was one of those really lucky or unique places where it wasn't a flat landing. It was a, it was an angled one. And there was a lot of rocks and I mean, a lot of trees and brush. And I just tumbled through it another 20, 30, 40 feet. I don't, you know, I don't remember the measurements and yeah. ended up kind of face down a log across some other things had stopped me sitting, you know, right there. And I do remember asking for Tracy's help and then suddenly she came over and um, she tumbled down. I think she, she ran down and twisted her ankle pretty good. But uh, uh -huh. And then I was able to just sit up and then, you know, she says, I asked what happened about a half a dozen times. Yeah. So. Um, I remember asking it once and um and then the next thing i remember was there was a like a fireman or a first responder sitting in front of me and tracy says that was about a half hour so yeah she she said she called for help and all of a sudden there were a group of climbers that came around and gathered around and one of them called for help they couldn't get a helicopter in and so they yeah called 911 and tracy heard the fire engine going almost right away and and we were really close to the road it was a it was only like a a 10 minute climbers trail hike up. But it took a couple hours to get you out of there. Took a long way. Once they got there and they were getting me on a backboard, 
I was present again and cognizant of the whole deal and I kind of knew what I was in for and I knew I couldn't use my legs and they looked they didn't look that pretty. I couldn't obviously I couldn't see my face but Tracy said it was all cut up and uh-huh. blood and blah 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 but I had a helmet on and fortunately I had the helmet on because the helmet was just trashed. It cracked on the side and the whole mm-hmm. top of it was all scraped off. And, uh, yeah. Prevented more serious head injury. For sure. Then. Yeah. For sure. Like, there's no way. But uh, somehow, I got all these cuts in my mouth. I had one cut on the outside over my lip that kind of went through. And I guess one – what's that place right there between your – your under your nose and above your lip? It's It's got a name or something. Yeah, I don't know exactly what that is. Slit that right through. Yep. But then all kinds of cuts in the, in my mouth. They put me on a backboard and as they were putting me on, I started, you know, using my wilderness first responder skills because they wanted to get me on the backboard. But you know that if you've done this, once you're on a backboard, they're not going to make any adjustments. That's when Tracy knew you were going to be okay. It's when you started taking over and leading (laughs) leading your recovery from there. Somebody grabbed my, you know, even though I had moved around a bunch, somebody grabbed behind me and held my head in place, um, even though I was sitting up so that I wouldn't twist that around. I said, hey, splint my legs before you put me on the backboard Mm -hmm. because you don't want, you're not going to want to mess with it once you do. And so they did. And then I got on the backboard and I knew I'd be there all day. So the worst thing about a backboard is that it's really uncomfortable. And so I asked for padding for my lower back and for under my knees and everything. And I did have my harness on still, which was great because once they put the backboard in the litter, you know, I'm 6'3 and litters are, everything is like 6'2, built for 6'2. It's like they don't build these things for (laughs) 6'3. So my feet were touching the bottom. And okay. uh, once they started to move me downhill, it was literally like my feet would touch the bottom and I had my left foot was a mess and my right knee. So it was not pleasant. So I was holding on to the top of the litter to keep myself up because my arms were fine. Uh-huh. And eventually I asked if they would uh, use some webbing or rope and tie it up through my belay loop and just try and hold me up because it was a long way down. Yeah. Yeah. So they got you down off the mountain. They took you to the hospital. Ambulance to Everett. They cut off everything there. And uh, I had tried to get my harness off because it was a brand new harness before I got to the hospital. So I undid everything. They still cut it. Uh (laughs) I'm so pissed (laughs) off. (laughs) Anyway, uh, yep. And then they realized after some x-rays that they needed to send me to Harborview because they didn't have the- Which is the regional trauma center here in the Seattle area. So So. took an ambulance ride down there, fully uh, loaded up with whatever painkillers they had available. So I don't really remember the ride. And then sat in Harborview ER or trauma ER overnight and uh, got my- you know, face stitched up there, but then um, had to go into surgery the next morning. I think I went in at 7 a.m. So, can you tell us a little bit about the injuries that you sustained? Yeah. So, my right tibial plateau was broken in about four or five, maybe six spots. I don't remember. And then my patella tendon had ripped off. And then- So, that's your ankle? That was the right leg. Oh, the right, right leg. Knee, yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. Tibia, uh, knee, right below the knee. Lower leg, yeah. Yep. Okay. And then the left- foot and ankle. So, the, the talus. talus bone. Uh, the Taylor neck had broken and then the cuboid, which is right below that and the calcaneus, which is the heel, but the heel's really big like a potato. So, just the front part of it underneath. So, kind of directly the Taylor neck and the bone underneath the cuboid and the calcaneus right there just crushed. And then, uh, you know, gashes on my legs that needed certain kinds of sewing up, but nothing to my right, uh, my left knee and nothing to my right foot. So, somehow, whatever happens, 
And then some broken or fractured... Transverse processes. Yeah. Uh, just cracked. Cracked one all the way through. And if it was just the one, it wouldn't have been that big of a deal. But then they saw the crack into the next. And so that said, oh, okay, this is bigger than we thought. So that means it went across that joint and there are nerves that come out that control your arm. Mm-hmm. And it was on the left side. So they were like, well, you got to wear a neck brace because... If you mess up that, those nerves could stop working. So that was the other thing. Um, and then stitches in the face. So the surgery, they did their construction project and put in uh, on the right leg, they put in 12 screws and like a 10-inch bar. So screws across the tibial plateau and then holding that bar in that went you know down to the uh, lower part of my shin. And then on the left foot, they put in six screws around the tailor talus bone and the tailor neck, but did not do any work on the bottom part of the foot because they said that the foot was so swollen, if they were concerned, if they cut it again, they wouldn't be able to get it closed back up. So Dr. Ben Geisner did that. She was great. And then I guess maybe five days after that, I went back to see another doctor and, uh, I'm drawing a blank right now. It'll come to me. That's okay. He's um, Dr. Sanjorzen. And turns out he's like the foot specialist on the West Coast. So lucky for me because he said most people wouldn't even bother with trying to fix it. It was just like mashed potatoes. Uh, So then I had another surgery once the swelling came down. So about 10 days after the initial one. And he went in and put four more screws and a bar across the calcaneus, the cuboid, and one into the bone in front of that to hold it in place. And that was the extent of the initial surgery. Those first two surgeries? Yeah. Yeah. So how are you feeling during all of this? You know, uh, it's an interesting thing. Like I was in the hospital for a week in the kind of the trauma ward there. Yeah. You know, at that point it was just, okay, here we are. Not much to do. It's a long road, but glad I didn't die. Because that was a, it was a pretty long fall, and the fact there that was I, a possibility easily for sure. People die shorter falls than that, and you know uh, rocks everywhere and tumbling, and and really a miracle that no head, neck, or spine injuries. Even though the facets—that's what they're called—the facets had cracked on the neck, it really wasn't much of a neck injury. Although they had me in a neck brace, which um, I think I have more injury as a wear of a result of wearing that brace for three months. <laughs> but um, yeah, that was pretty amazing and, and, you know, pretty shocking. I think really tough for the kids to come in and see me in that condition. I think that probably the, the biggest thing was just, I really wasn't that worried about anything else. It's just still probably in survival mode. What was the prognosis the doctors gave you for your recovery? You know, so the the first surgeon I'd never I hadn't spoken to yet, but when I went to see San Jorzen, um and he pre-surgery for my foot, he was very dour in his prognosis. He's like, you know, I remember sitting there in this wheelchair and uh he says, you know, there's a good chance we'll be able to keep the foot, but you won't be able to really do anything with it in the future, you know, except maybe with this brace. And it, and then um, I started to feel sick to my stomach. And then his assistant walked in with this monstrosity of a lower leg brace to show me what could be used in order to, you know, hike if I ever thought I might be able to do it. But climbing was done and, you know, walking normal was the goal. At that point, I was like, I need to lay down because I thought I was going to vomit, you know, cold sweats and everything. Because you go into those thinking, you know, 
at least my thought was he's going to be like, well, that was a hell of a fall, but you were one of the luckiest guys because you'll never really know this ever happened once we're done with you. And that was not the story. Yeah. So that was pretty rough for a while to just start wrestling with that. Just a quick note, the craziest thing, after we came down from that appointment, we're sitting in the lobby waiting for the cabulance to pick me up because we didn't have a vehicle I could get in. So we had a cab, you know, with the wheelchair and my legs are out in front of me. And I'm kind of slowly just kind of being very somber. And this woman walks by and says, it's all going to be all right. And I just looked up at her and we ended up having this 20 minute conversation. And I was just in tears because she was just, <laughs> she told me her story and she's just, it was amazing. Like, you know, she's like, yep, it sucks now, but um, you'll be amazed. It's going to work out. And anyway, those little angels that show up. Fascinating. And then yeah. she just disappeared. At first, I thought she was just one of those people that walks on the street and talks to herself because she kind of had that demeanor about her, but she was really wise. <laughs> and you had a lot of those angels show up. I mean, the community really rallied around you. You had people showing up at the hospital, bringing you food and saying hello, friends built a ramp for you at home so you could get your chair into yep. the house. Others built a ramp so you could get from your room down into what used to be the playroom. So you had a place to stay on the ground floor, some cleaned and organized. Yep. Others brought you your desk up and your extensive computer apparatus to get things set up yep. so you could work when you were feeling better. Yep. Wild. So many people just, you know, Tracy sent out a call for help and everybody responded. My brother flew out and got there just within a couple of days and he kind of just helped. Look take, after the kids. Yep. Take care of the kids. Watch went, and bought, went and rented a hospital bed and had it brought to the house. So, I had something and yeah, everyone, a handful of people came and reoriented the house and ramps and built it all. It was pretty amazing. Yeah. And then you have this huge community of healers and people you know. So, you had people setting up a meal train for you and bringing food to your house, dropping by gift baskets, books, emails, people reaching out by phone. So, a lot of community support in the beginning. I know my partner and I uh, set you up with the pulse electromagnetic field device yeah. to help kind of manage the swelling and pain. And my partner had you on stem cells. Yep. Oh, my goodness. Shane definitely showed up with all the fixes that became the daily routine for three months. So, tell me about that. What was that like? So, back home in this hospital bed, you know, transferring back and forth to a wheelchair to then slide up to a desk to still try and work. So, believe it or not, I only took a week off of work and then tried to start maybe two weeks and then just, you know, it was all virtual. So, it didn't, you know, talking to people wasn't that difficult. And so, I started down a path of um, all those things Shane brought, you know, plant stem cells and the PEMF and that was part of it. And then I had... Um, uh, Daniel Outschuler, who is an incredible acupuncturist and Chinese medicine physician, basically came up with some, you know, twigs and stems thing <laughs> that was needed to be boiled. And I drank this uh, green tea, so to speak, but uh, way better cold than hot. And um, I would do that twice a day and, and just really fell into a long-term healing routine. No caffeine, no alcohol, no bad food. You know, Tracy really cranked it up on that. And then friends of ours that own the Tummy Temple got involved and said, hey, start taking these protein enzymes or proenzymes that help drain fluids from areas. And then they have people that do lymphatic, lymphatic massage. massage 
a wonderful practitioner came over to the house every few weeks and did lymphatic massage draining kind of, you know, so I had this whole series of things that, and of course, you know, none of the, there was no PT for three months because I, I was not supposed to move my right leg at all. The patella tendon needed like complete, don't do anything because that needs to heal and attach Completely properly. immobilized. Yeah. So then I just would wrap the dang PEMF cable around and I did probably an hour and a half of that a day, at least in, you know, 45 minutes in the morning and 45 minutes in the night as I moved it around my body, which was, we called it the clicker machine. And yeah. So the PEMF, it helps decrease swelling. It helps decrease pain. And, you know, it's FDA approved to help stimulate bone growth and get things healing and recovering yeah. faster. And yeah. it really works on a cellular level, kind of getting the little cells to activate and keeping those cell membranes. So I call it lazy man's exercise. Yeah. <laughs> Because <laughs> it really does give you kind of a workout, even though, you know, you're just lying there. Interesting. Yeah. You can find out more about the Holistic High Performance and sign up for our monthly newsletter at holistichighperformance.com. That's holistichighperformance.com. You also had craniosacral practitioners come over to the house. That's right. That's right. Um, Qigong, people giving you Reiki, a couple structural medicine sessions. So a whole slew of practitioners and friends helping you. Definitely. I'll tell you the most interesting piece was there were a few folks that are in our community of healers and helpers that wanted to, you know, they kept asking me how I'm, how I'm handling, you know, how I'm working through the trauma. And, you know, it's interesting. I was not. I really didn't have any urge. Uh, it was really more of like, okay, let's do everything we can to get these physical things going. Then one day it came to visit. Yeah. But it was as I started to try and begin to move again, that's when the, the kind of the trauma came in. Tell us about that. Just, you know, had started to be able, I was allowed to, after about three months, we had this big wall chart with the calendar on it and marking off days till I supposedly get to try and stand up again. Mm -hmm. And uh, it just felt like it took weeks longer than it, you know, uh -huh. I don't know how the days added up to as many as they did, but they did. And then I was able to go to a PT and stand up and, um, and it was, it was brutal because I really was not in any pain. I was not taking any pain medicine. I didn't really. The doctors were really surprised by that because yeah. about three days after your second surgery, you stopped because you had. I would have kept taking them because they were enjoyable to just <laughs> hang out with. But Tracy's like, you don't want to get hooked on that. And obviously you don't. So, um, I didn't need any of that. So standing up though, then all of a sudden it was like, oh my God, this is is a this is a really long road now maybe some of those stories about it may or may not work kind of hit home yeah and the reality the reality of like hey my life is could really different. be different yeah and so that was just as one might do just some long hours of endless sobbing not with any real thing to do with it just let it do its energetic work and then yeah. get back to leg lifts <laughs> Yeah. So you started seeing the PT. They give you some home exercises to be doing. Yep. How many days a week were you seeing the you PT? You know, uh, because no insurance didn't cover anything other than PT, which I find to be fascinating considering it only solves one very small segment of the yeah. large healing process. I think I went to two different ones and would see as often as they could. So I was probably two days a week when I could finally start getting around and 
and then doing my exercise at home and then eventually found a physical therapist that I friend had used that I really liked and ended up going with one that insurance didn't cover because, you know, it was a good match between his philosophy and where my, and he was great. He was just like, yeah, shit hurts. <laughs> Get <Yeah>. over it. <laughs> and I think around that point, Shane got you set up with a home little personal PEMF device and as well. I got my own PEM device, a little mini one he took, turned me on to and just kept using that every day. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Long road. So, and then tell me about progression. So okay, so here's where things really turn. So, I went back in for a surgery. Um, so, the bar, there was a straight bar across the cuboid and calcaneus, and I was told that by St. George and that bar will eventually fail because it's crossing a joint. And I was doing, the only exercise I could really do with the foot was, you know, the alphabet with your big toe, and I would do it. 10 times a day, you know, and he said, there's no. And so once I started being active again, he was like, yeah, do what you can. So that there was uh, four screws in there. Oh no, six screws in there holding that bar in. And um, he said it would, something would fail and it probably usually fails in about six months, etc. Well, I went in for an appointment and it had only been four months. So, you know, a month of walking. And I guess I had, you know, I had already broken two of the screws. And you could see it on the x-ray and he says, well, it's Christmas time or the holidays, you know, Thanksgiving, I can't do the surgery. Uh, so we'll have to schedule for the first of the year. And I was like, should I stop working out or stop exercising? He said, no, keep going. And so I scheduled for January 3rd, the first day back in the office to get the bar out because it really hurt. Yeah. And so I went in and took that out and, um, and then the skin just wouldn't heal up forever. But, um, I was in a boot for two weeks and the day before getting the boot off, I just was walking, felt so good. And then I was walking with the boot on and then suddenly something started hurting, got the boot off and then got on a plane and went to the next day and went to Italy for a week of work. And, um, I had traveled to Italy a lot and was able to walk around the city. And this time I was trying to, um, just even make simple walking around and, uh, Italy's not a cobblestone roads. roads. Yeah. Not and, easy. And it's a walking city. And, uh, so that was horrible. I took one crutch with me, thank goodness, because I needed it. And, um, I was in the most pain I'd been in since the entire thing, like not even post surgery. Cause of course I was medicated for a lot of that, but the worst. And, um, I remember calling Tracy and saying, now I understand what St. Jorzen said that it might actually, at a certain point, St. Jorzen said they're all about mobility. And if it's impossible to work with it because it doesn't work, then why keep the foot? So there was a that, possibility of your foot being amputated. Right. So there were two things. One, the it would just be miserable. And then two, the talus bone doesn't get a lot of blood flow. So it could, it could was, actually die. Right. And, it could become it necrotic. But he said that you wouldn't know that for uh, 18 months or two years. So that kind of hung out there for a long time. I came back and I talked to San Jorzen and he said, okay, well, I went right off the airport, basic, off the plane, straight to his office. And they said that they took the x-ray, said it looked fine, actually, but they'd be willing to stick a big needle in there and put some dye in there to see and then put some cortisol in there, cortisone, whatever it is mm-hmm. to make it stop hurting. And I was like, ah, the last thing I want is a big needle in there. And so Tracy said, why don't you call Dan? <laughs> so around that time, we started working together. So then I came here because to work with you. And it was fascinating because I knew a lot about the fact that if you don't break up scar tissue, then things get really stuck. And I had not done a single thing in those realms. Yeah. I had done a lot to just do my knee 
and rub my knee on my own, but the foot always felt like too sensitive and there was the healing on it. Never like the scars never healed up. Yeah. And I was able to stretch the crud out of the knee. So I almost had full range of motion because it wasn't a real knee injury. It was just around it. Yeah. But still a lot of pain in that leg. For sure. Yeah. A lot. Because the bar, so then the bar in that leg just was god awful painful. And at the end of that long bar at the bottom of the shin is where all the pain was, not around the knee. And the surgeon, I went to see her in March and said, will you take this thing out? And she said, I can't take it out for a year. If I take it out too soon, you're liable for a higher risk of break and blah, blah, blah. And I said, great, let's schedule for July 14th because this is miserable. Like walking downstairs was unbearable and just standing in the kitchen would hurt. And then, of course, she wouldn't do the surgery at that time because um, that's the trauma season. So she was too busy. So I had to wait. So the foot came out, came to see you, started working on all that sort of moving things around and breaking it up. Getting your structure balanced and kind of addressing some of the compensations yep. and getting some of the swelling out of there and working with some myofascial release and the neurovascular release to get blood supply back down there. And Yep, what you said. All those terms that uh, I don't know, but within two weeks of seeing you twice in two weeks, the pain that was the pain from Italy was essentially gone or yeah. just not what I didn't suddenly I didn't think okay cut this thing off but I admit then you know week after so I came to see you every week for I don't know we, like eight months at least that yeah you know? so it was pretty consistent uh, yeah. doing a lot of work to get you get your structure balanced get function back in there get you moving again in a yeah. way that everything was sequencing and working well and you're able to weight bear through that foot and yeah because you didn't slow down you kept trying to push your limits well working working and you know even walking and other things you were you were out there as much as you could for sure trying and it sucked yeah um, you but, were doing a lot of your balance board and other yeah. aspects really fascinating stuff like just trying to get i remember just being in tears trying to realize that i couldn't even bend my foot in certain ways and then you know yeah. Over time. I will say you are one of the most dedicated people that I've worked with in terms of wanting to get better and, you know, utilizing all of your options. So it was really fun to work with you. Uh, Never had an accident like this before. You know, first time going through all of this. How's that changed you? Well, certainly never an accident like this, but I've had my slew of injuries and overcoming things. But nothing that was possibly like life altering that traumatic. Yeah, no. And- I don't know. It's interesting. Like, It is what it is. Like if you want to take it on and try and get what you can and work with it. And one of the things that really struck me was that I remember early St. George and saying, you know, if the foot doesn't work, it's you should get rid of it and get on with life. And I never could envision that. But then after, you know, months and a year and not working and it's still hurting. And even though I was making progress, it still was like, man, this is never going to allow me to do anything really. Mm -hmm. I started to go, oh yeah, that makes sense. Like if it minimizes your mobility, then why would you not do it? And the other thing that really struck me is that you have to, um, you know, the thing that, well, I'm getting very technical about it, not so much how much it hit me, but the medical profession, thank God they're there because they literally put the things back in place that, Definitely. you know, it was a construction project and very talented and very lucky to be in a place where the 
gentleman who happens to be the only one that can, you know, would even try to do the foot like that and uh, happens to be and just happened to be on call, right? Yeah. He's that guy. So their profession is not as designed for the... They put you back together and send you on your way. Yeah. In a way, you know, it's like the x-rays look good and I'm like, yeah, but it doesn't work. And then all the soft tissue and all the chemistry and all the healing. It's not that they didn't support those things, but they, they can't recommend it. It's not in their portfolio to recommend. And so if you, you have to go and advocate for yourself. And I just thought, you know, for me, I was really like, as a life of doing this sort of stuff, having, being able to do it with my kids was always something that was so awesome. And that potential loss of that made it seem like, why not do everything possible to see what can happen? Yeah. yeah. So, so a year after your accident, tell us what you were doing. So it was a really interesting thing. So even like in May, not even a year yet, it still had not all started to click yet. i still felt like I couldn't walk. I did go on a hike. It hurt a ton more. And interestingly enough, I knew the left ankle is just stiff and the right shin though was just killing me because the bar and that leg. So every step down was miserable, but I was able to go on a pretty significant hike, like 3000 feet of elevation gain and got, I don't know, six miles. And that was pretty amazing. And then as the year came back, one of the things I wanted to do was get back on rock and climb again, because I was concerned. I knew it would be potentially scary, mm -hmm. but not that big of a deal in the sense that I didn't fall climbing. So I didn't, I don't suddenly have a fear of climbing. I fell repelling. So now my fear of repelling, which is always scary, is even scarier. Okay. But I was able to, on July 7th or 6th or something, um, Tracy was not with us, but the kids and I uh, went rock climbing and that was pretty cool. Even though it was a very easy climb. Mm -hmm. And I didn't repel off the top. I just had Ruby lower me because <laughs> I was like, I'm not ready to repel yet. <laughs> I need another adult here to double check that I'm doing it all right. But uh, yeah. yeah, so we was able to get back climbing in a, and hit the year mark. So that was a pretty big celebration. It was pretty great. Yeah, yeah. It was pretty amazing. Even though there was still pain in my right leg and my left foot was still, you know, felt gummed up. It was like, hey, and it was shocking that it didn't hurt actually a non-dynamic motion because climbing is relatively static unless yeah. you're falling. It was really great. So you continued to kind of increase your activity over the course of that summer, uh, later that fall after the kind of hiking trauma season, you're able to see your surgeon again and finally get the bars out of the other leg. Yep. Got that bar out and the surgery went super seamless. And I've got this big pile of metal in a bag that looks enormous and, and the healing, you know, she said it would probably be fine in just a couple of weeks. Takes another few months for those holes to fill in, but yep. uh, should be fine. Yeah. So I'm down to, I started with two bars and 12, you know, God, I don't know, 24 screws. And now I've got uh, just, uh, there's six screws and one bar in my ankle and that's in the talus bone. And Dr. the foot's kind of grown around it. So yeah. Dr. St. Jordan says, you know, I went to him and I said, it won't, my ankle won't bend this way and that way. And he goes, show me. And I showed him and he just started laughing. He's like, listen, one, the screws are not impeding that. And two, you have more flexion in your ankle than most normal people. So I think you're okay. With <laughs> I'm not interested in taking it out unless it causes some significant issue. And right now they don't appear to be. Yeah. So 
How are you doing today? It's been two and a half years almost. It's been, yep. So the two-year mark was July and they said, you know, it doesn't seem that that bone is going to die. It doesn't, you know, it's hard to know. You know, things work. Uh, The right leg works just fine. There's zero pain in it. Um, A little every now and again, probably cartilage clicky in the knee, but that's probably from something else. Yep. Uh, And the left ankle is, you know, it will be persistently not what it used to be. You know, I wake up and it's stiff every day and, uh-huh. uh, but it loosens up, but I know it's there, but I've been climbing a bunch of rock climbing and even the kids and I went and climbed uh silver star peak, a big glaciated peak. And we were able to do one that was this summer. And last summer we were able to do Sloan peak. So, I mean, I'm back out there doing it. I, you know, I'm also getting older, so stuff hurts more and, and I probably need to figure out, you know, a few more shoe options, but generally speaking, it's incredible. And the surgeons were in a way that, you know, they can't say how impressed they are really, but in their way, they both are like, you know, had made comments like, wow, you've really recovered remarkably well. We don't typically see this. And, and then I said, but you also don't recommend, you know, lymphatic massage and green you know, Chinese medicine smoothies and, and integration. frequency, structural integration, structural integration work and all, all the other things exactly. that you did. So. Exactly. Um, good. Any big plans for the future? You mean in terms of hiking trips, things you want to do? You know, the goals one thing that I, I really don't have any big things, you know, as I've climbed all over the world, so I'm fairly content. Like I don't have any big objectives. There's one big trip that I want to get in before Tracy and I get too old to do it. And that is, it's a trip I've done before, but I want to take my family with it. It's a traverse across the Olympics. It's a big trip and you traverse off trail and basically up and over Mount Olympus and out the Ho. So you go up the Elwha and then up through Dodwell Rickson Pass. And then these are all names of mountains and passes. There are passes in the Olympics Olympics. all around Mount Olympus. And uh, it is of all the mountain ranges I visit in the world, the Olympics truly are the most beautiful place. But you got to get way off trail to really get some of these environments. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's fantastic. Any words of wisdom or advice you'd like to share for others who've gone through some similar experience to this? You know, there was a guy that Tracy contacted, uh, Rick DiMartino, who, and you could look him up online. He took a big fall. He fell a hundred feet and, you know, lucky to survive. And he ended up amputating his left foot after a similar issue. And his right leg is pretty rough. And one of the things she contacted him to say, what do I do with this guy? And, yeah. and he said, you know, don't do anything for 18 months because the body takes a long time after trauma to start to reorient. And, uh, you know, he said it's really about two years when you know kind of where it'll settle. So I think that's probably the lesson for folks. Like it was depressing as all hell yeah. to realize that this is not going to recover and it's hard and da da da. But the hard part is once it starts to feel better, you can easily get into the point where now it's enough and then you maybe give up on what it is you want to do. So it takes longer than you think. But as Dan, as you would point out all the time, you know, it's like you would notice things that were improving that I wouldn't. Yeah. So somebody else needs to see these micro improvements because you can't. And then the other thing that was amazing was somebody said, the physical therapist, this guy, Wolfgang, and he said, don't measure your progress week to week. It's month to month. 
because otherwise you get really down and out because it doesn't look like much. It's, you know, it's a process and it's slow and it's incremental. And, you know, one of the things that I know working with people and working with you is like, hey, let's get present to where you are. Yeah. You know, let's look at where you were and where you are now. And so you can see those little, the, the gradual changes that have happened. Because when we get too far out in the future or too, you know, like, hey, this is what I want and I'm not there yet, then there's a separation. And, yeah. you know, it really does kind of disconnect us from our bodies yeah. and sends us into the spin of our story. And so that, you know, really just being present each moment of the way. And, yeah. you know, and that's part of the thing with trauma is that we do tend to leave our body. We want to get away from the pain. We want to do that. And so it's kind of constantly reminding like, hey, it's here. It's a message that, you know, saying, hey, pay attention to the body. Yeah, you know, kind of keep coming back, being present with it, and yeah, it was it was a pleasure to work with you. It's been such a delight to see the progress that you've made, and that you know you're back out there with your family and all the gifts that have come from this experience, which yeah, you know, can do continue to unfold. And yeah. you know, you've made some big life changes. You bought a not knowing whether you were going to ever be able to be out in the woods again. You bought a little house out in the country, uh, and you guys have been spending a lot of your time there. Yeah little one-room cabin for a family of four and now we live there part-time. <laughs> yeah, there is, right? That is the hardest part is to be able to envision past what it is. And I wouldn't suggest anybody tries to envision past what it is. It's just stay focused on working on the the situation at hand and, and just, I tell you, you cannot, there are no shortcuts for kind of physical and traumatic, physically damaging things. It's just the body will heal itself, which is amazing. But if you give it some support by making sure all the deep tissue is aligning, otherwise you develop other problems. So I think that's my biggest learning is like it's the problem at hand might need work in many areas around the particular area. Well, it's often about, you know, your body actually requires more energy to be put into the system. And so, I mean, that's part of what the PEMF does. It helps put more energy into your system. Yeah, you know, getting the structure lined up helps you use, utilize the energy in your system better. So, you're more efficient. You're not wasting energy and compensating. Um, and, you know, it helps support that healing process. And just giving, as you said, giving yourself time and space to do that is really important. Yeah, and, for sure. So, well, it's been a pleasure having you on the show Thanks, today, Neil. Dan. Thank you so much for joining us and sharing your story. Yeah. Um, it really is quite inspirational, uh, you know, especially some of the other stories out there of people who aren't as lucky as you were. And For sure. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Holistic High Performance Podcast. You can find all the past episodes of the show by visiting holistichighperformance.com. Please subscribe to the show to listen to future episodes. We release new episodes every Monday and Thursday. This show would not be possible without the help of our team. We wish to thank our executive assistant, Harlow Brummett Dunn, our producer and chief technical officer, Dan Harmon of DH Productions, our podcast mentor, Angel B. Hartwell, the host and executive producer of the Wickedly Smart Women podcast. Our theme music was composed and arranged by Luca Millard Kish. On behalf of the whole team, we wish to thank you, our listeners.